The Bible assures us in Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Welcome to Faith to Faith. Here are your hosts, Etienne McClintock and Braden Enterman. Dear listener, greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for joining us on the program today. We're delighted to have your company. And just as we start our program, let's just bow for a word of prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we just commit this program to you. We just commit ourselves to you, including our listener. We just pray for your Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds and bless us in our study. Here's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Braden, what are we talking about today on this program? So our our programs are... This is part one. Okay. We're going to do a part two after this. And it's the topic, A Form of Godliness. That's the title that we're, we're running okay. with. Okay. But godliness is a good thing, isn't it? Absolutely it is. Okay. And a form of godliness, could that be good or bad or is that bad? Well, we're going to be looking at it in the, in the negative sense. There's, okay. there's a sense okay. about it that's not good. And um, we're actually going to start our study in the book of Second Timothy, which is where we get the title of this presentation from. One of the blessings that we have from Scripture is that God peels back the curtain of the future and gives a warning to his church about conditions and, and situations that are going to happen in the future so the church can be prepared for it. And um, according to every prophecy that has been given about the future, um, it says that the world will get worse before it gets better mm. and that even in the church itself, things will get worse before it gets better. You've got Paul and John and the other apostles saying that there will be a falling away that happens first. Yes, in Second Thessalonians chapter two, it talks about the falling away coming first. The word of falling away, they of course apostasia in the Greek, which means an apostasy, and then that then enables within the church a man of sin to be revealed, a son of perdition. So things and it's interesting. There's enough enemies outside the church. Mm. But it, it, it becomes very, very clear that there's going to be problems, serious problems inside the church. In fact, Paul said that there would be people who would rise up amongst the church, um, like wolves in sheep's clothing, who yes. would draw people away from Christ. That's right. And so we've, this is a frightening reality that Paul predicts, is that there's going to be serious problems inside the church. Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we find a prediction of the conditions... When we read through these conditions, we think it's simply describing the world, but he's actually describing the condition of things inside the church just before Jesus comes. That's right. And if we start in chapter 3 in verse 1, it says this, But know this, that in the last days, perilous or dangerous times will come. Okay, so that's clearly a prophecy. Talking about the future. Yeah. So in the last days, perilous times dangerous times, Mm. terrible times will come. It says the reason for men will be lovers of themselves. Mm. Isn't that interesting? The first thing that's mentioned is in this dangerous time. Why is it so dangerous? Because people will be lovers of themselves. Wow. So quite often people talk about self-esteem and you can't love others unless you love yourself. But here we see that the, the, the challenge about the, the, the perils of the last days is that one of the things that will be prominent is that people will have a big love for themselves, which will dominate any love they have for anybody else. That's right. It's me first, me first, me first. That's mm. the spirit. It goes on to say that they, they're not only lovers of themselves, they are lovers of money. 
I think we're living in that time right now. It's interesting, right? Mm. Um, Jesus actually says that the love of money is, is the, the root. root of all evil. That's right. Um, money's just a, a neutral thing. It's just a, a piece of material with value attached to it. Mm. But it's the love of money, this this inordinate desire for gain and um, and, and power and all that kind of stuff. That's the real problem we've got. So we've got this group of people who are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters. Okay, so they like um, persuading people about their good deeds and how great they are and the skills and abilities that they have or even their looks or their, That's right. their possessions. So they're boasters. It says that they're proud. Mm. They're blasphemers. They're disobedient okay. to parents. Mm. Interesting. It says that they're unthankful. So they're not, they're not grateful um, for the things that others or God does for them. They kind of like have a, a spirit of self-entitlement. They're not thankful. It says they're unholy, so they're not living a character like Christ's. It says that they are unloving, unforgiving. So it's interesting how they use the word unloving. Paul used that there. He just said that there's love there. There's love for themselves and there's love for money, but yet at the same time that you can't classify them as loving people. They are unloving people. That's a really good observation. Hmm. So there's a contrast between loving yourself and then being unloving. You can be both at the same time. When you love yourself more than you love anybody else or love yourself more than you love God, you're actually unloving because if you lack love for others, it will not be expressed in a loving attitude towards others in what you say and what you do and how you interact with others and look after their welfare as well. Mm, interesting observation. It says that they're unforgiving. Um, the forgiveness that God extends to us, he is calling us to then pass on to others. But here's a group of people who... Um, are not extending forgiveness to other people. Wow. They're holding the grudges. They're holding the resentment. Mm. It says that they're slanderers. Um, these people that it's describing here um, think it's okay to slander someone's character, to smear someone's character and to take people down, character assassination. So that could be just passing on a rumor that you don't even mm. know it's true or not. That's right. And even if it's true, perhaps a rumor shouldn't be passed on. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It says without self-control. Mm. So they're just, yeah, that self-control is such an important part of the Christian life. Mm. So in other words, they're out of control. They're out of control. So they're actually a slave without self-control. They're slaves to their own appetites. So this could be any kind of appetite. You know, one of the, the fruits of the Spirit, I think it's the last one mentioned. The first one, funny enough, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, the first one I mentioned is love. The last one that's mentioned is temperance in the King James or in the New King James, self-control. self-control. Just going back to your observation before, it says they love themselves. They mm. love themselves, but it says here they've got no self-control. And those things go hand in hand. This self-love, me first, me first, me first, is often accompanied with self-indulgence um, self-indulgence, and a lack of self-control. Mm. There's no self-denial. There's no putting myself last for the benefit of someone else. It's me first, me first, me first. Right. And this is, we've got a few more things here. It says brutal. Mm. This is that's a that's a ter- I would hate for that word to be used to describe me. Brutal mm. brutality is like I, I associate aggression with that. Aggression and violence mm. and just a um, just a a diabolical love for violence. Mm. Brutal. It says despises of good. Interesting. So good is even evil spoken of and evil thought of in regards to this. Despises of good. If you despise something, you just you loathe it and you hate it. 
Mm. And to be a despiser of good is someone who dislikes good and is laughs at good, mocks at good, and just is all roundedly opposed to um to good. Goodness, yeah. It says that they're traitors. Hmm. Hmm. So the loyalty is so not there. Lack of loyalty. Yeah. Headstrong. Okay, so that's stubborn, pig-headed. I mean, quite Stu- often that's 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 celebrated, isn't it? Headstrong. So he just has a strong will. It's interesting. <laughs> headstrong. Yeah. Um, it says haughty. Okay, so proud and arrogant. Proud and arrogant. Yeah. So that comes it's almost part of that boasting that comes from haughtiness, doesn't it? It is. Yeah. And then we're getting to the end here. It says lovers of pleasure. Okay, so they love. There's a love, but it's not one that's loving. That's right. Mm. So they love. It says lovers of pleasure rather, or in the King James, it says more than mm. lovers of God. Wow. Okay. So the so pers- they have other gods before them. They don't love God with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's right. Pleasure, or the pursuit of pleasure, is takes a higher priority than their pursuit of God. Um, experiencing pleasure is a far greater priority than experiencing a relationship with God. Mm. Having a f- then it goes on to say having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Now that blows my mind when you see that having a form of godliness, because all these descriptors you gave here weren't flattering at all. They are quite evil descriptors. And like you're mm-hmm. saying, if some of those were to be applied to us, uh, maybe people can live with lovers on themselves because of their concept about self-esteem, which mm-hmm. I think sometimes, uh, the majority of cases, is probably not biblically correct. That's misunderstood. But when it gets to being brutal, uh, being headstrong, well, headstrong people will say, okay, yeah, I'm a little bit headstrong, but they don't think of it in very bad terms. But all these other things, being traitors and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, but then saying they have a form of godliness. So we're not talking about someone that's blatantly heathen or blatantly an atheist here that's right. that totally rejects God. These are people you would find in the church because they have a form of godliness. That blows my mind. Because, yeah, this whole idea of a form of godliness, it's all about the externals. Mm. And if you look up the concept of formalism in the dictionary, it talks about a strict observance to religious ceremonies or traditions, a very strict observance to ceremonies or traditions in the religious world. And so they have a, a form of godliness. In some sense, they, they think themselves godly, in some sense, they think themselves in harmony with God, um, but they do not have some something. It's called the power. They do not have the power of God. That's so they, right. yeah. they have something on the outside, but they lack something on the inside. Hmm. So they deny the power. I think the word power there is um, dunamis power again, which is obviously the power of God in the gospel. That's right. So they lack the power of God in the gospel. So they've gone down this route of formalism which is dead formalism because it hasn't got the Spirit of God to to make it alive. But when Paul talks about this, does he have a framework in his time that will help people understand what he's talking about here? Because he's predicting this for the future, but was there something within that uh, sphere of time that would have given him an idea regarding what he was speaking of here? Because I mean, I'm just looking at Jesus' words in Matthew, and I think Matthew chapter 15. He's talking about God's commandments— and the need to honor his father and his mother and that. And he talks about, you know, the commandments of God and how they've actually undermined God's commandments by their traditions. And he actually says that's hypocrisy. Mm, interesting. And then we read in verse 8, it says that these people draw near to me with their mouth. So that's drawing near to God in worship. And they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So the heart's not in it. So it's, it's formalism. It's not a living kind of worship. 
I think this is really just, again, another situation of the same um, thing that the Apostle Paul is predicting. You've got people who, with their mouth, they will declare that they're on the Lord's side. Yes. With their mouth, they will profess to be followers of God. But it says here that their hearts are far from from God. Mm. Um, and so they're at a distance, but they profess to be right up close. They claim to be a follower of Jesus, but their their very heart, their very nature, their very character tells a very, very different story. Mm. And yet throughout Scripture, I'm just trying to think of the verse, but they, it's, God says, yet they seek me daily. I think that's Isaiah 58 at the beginning. Yes, says, that's yet right. Yet they seek me daily mm. as someone who wants to know my ways, but they're actually, their hearts are far from me. Yet they seek me daily. And so there's this contradiction um, of wanting to be up close and personal in one sense, but very far off in another sense. And so the Apostle Paul is predicting a time where there will be in Christianity, in the faith world, such a depravity of life, such a depravity of experience, yet all the while claiming to be close to God. Now, for the Apostle Paul, he would have seen this in the context of his own people, Israel, Mm. and looking at the history. There's been a tendency from the very days um, of the beginning of Scripture um, for people to lose sight of the reason why they do things, to lose sight of the spirit um, of worship, and just get caught up in all of the ceremonies and all the rituals and all the externals and lose sight of the most important things. Mm, that's true. And that's that personal relationship and personal connection with God. And you can actually get distracted by it. You know, we just go through the ceremonies. Perhaps you haven't been so spiritual that week. We haven't spent time with the Lord in prayer or whatever it may be. And we can imperceptibly actually lose our way in a spiritual sense just because of the pace of life and because we get busy and we don't make our first priorities the right priorities. What happens is we get up in the morning, we're running a little bit late, we slept in a little bit. God doesn't have the first place in our life at that time because we don't have the time for it. So we haven't been deliberate in you know, spending time with God in prayer and in devotions first thing. And before you know it, your week is so busy. Before you know it, your month is so busy and your year could be so busy. And then God has second place. And that can quite easily happen. But it's easy to turn up to church, though. (laughs) Very easy to go through the traditions that we are accustomed to. Yeah, to go through, to go and worship, but it could be a dry, dead formalism. And I'm just looking at uh, even Ezekiel chapter 33 in verse 31. God says to Ezekiel, So they, that is Israel, so they come to you as a people do. They sit before you as my people. They hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Here we can see it's a heart issue again. Interesting. The lips say something, but the heart is somewhere else. And in verse 32, Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. Hmm. So here we can see the heart's not in it. The actions are in it, but they ignore what is being said. It sounds lovely, and then they go home and they do their own thing. It says they hear the words, but they do not do them. I find it so interesting. Um, he says, your voice is like a lovely song to them. Mm. This picture of these people just sitting down and having to listen to him, and it's just they're happy to sit down and listen. Maybe the music in the worship service is brilliant. That's right. They're happy to sit there and listen. Mm. They're happy to take it all in, but it never hits the heart. Yeah. And they're happy to come and sit down. They're happy to come to the temple. They're happy to bring a lamb from time to time and go through the... They're happy to pay the, this particular tax. They're happy to, happy to pay this offering to the temple. 
unless their hearts are missing the point. And I've, I've actually just opened up to Isaiah 58 just to read it. Um, this particular chapter starts in a way that's quite confronting. It says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. So God is calling for his people to, to, to cry out a judgment against his people mm. because of their transgression. Yes. And yet verse two, it says, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their, their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. We, why have we fasted, they say, and, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? This is such an interesting thing. God is saying, my people are transgressors. Tell them, tell them that they've got serious problems. He says, but the problem is they think it's all fine. They don't know they've got a problem. They don't know they've got a problem. Mm. They seek me daily. They, they, they love learning about me, but they don't let it come to their hearts. Yeah, and what I like there is, uh, and it just it makes so much sense, it says, and they delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness. But the inference is there, they're not doing righteousness. Hmm. They may be pursuing righteousness to a certain extent through formalism and you know, adhering to the, the tenets of their worship, but really the heart is still not in it. And as I look at this, I wonder... If it's something that's going to be in the future, if it was something that was in the Old Testament, as if it was something that was in Jesus' day where it says, you know, in vain they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. If it was an Old Testament thing, if it was in Jesus' day, if it's something that's going to be in the future, what causes people to walk away from true and genuine worship that God establishes and then find themselves in this difficult circumstance, even to the point, as you read in Isaiah 58, mm -hmm. where people do not know that can I quote from the seventh church in Revelation, Revelation chapter 3 from verse 14 onwards, that they are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Mm, that's their state, but they say they don't know they are. So that's, that's the environment we find ourselves in because we believe we, we're living in the time period of that seventh church. That was the case in Jesus' day, and it was the case for Israel if we look at Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is written to Israel or to Judah? It's Judah specifically, Judah. isn't it? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Now, I've actually got in the book of Amos a message that was written to the nation of Israel, so the 10 northern tribes. Right. And just to answer your question, you were asking, how does this happen? How, how, do, how, does, how does a people that were blessed so much by God, how do they just degrade down to just this dry drudgery of formalism in their, in their experience with God? God actually said this in verse 21 of Amos 5. I hate, I despise your feast days. Wow. And I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fat and peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. That's, it's, what is so interesting about this is that God asked for all of those things. He was the one who appointed the feast days. That's right. He was the one who established the sacrificial system and, and the sanctuary services and everything that happened there. And, but now he's saying, I despise it. I don't want it. It's making me sick to see you doing all these different things. And the question is, well, God, you set these things up. So what's the problem? That's right. Yeah. Aren't we doing fulfilling your requirements? How oh, can well, you not like God? You asked us to do these things. What are you What are you upset about? Hmm. 
The reason why God had to establish these things in the first place was because of the sin of humanity. And the reason why the sanctuary service was established was for the removal of sin and the restoration of human beings to a relationship with God. Yes. And here we have a group of people who are living in rebellion against God, violating the commandments on a day-to-day basis, hurting one another, abusing um committing fraud, all these different things, and then they just turn up and think that they can just offer an animal and it's all going to be good. It's almost like a confessional approach where you sin, you think, oh, well, I've got an exit. All I need to do is take that lamb, or I need to go and buy a lamb at the temple, and I just sacrifice it and it's all wiped out, no problem. It's interesting that God gives what he really wants. This is his desire. He says, but let justice. Um, That is a life based on principle, uh, according to the standards of God's character. He says, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. He's wanting to open a fountain of purity and goodness, and he wants that to be what he sees in the land. Mm. He wants the nation of Israel to be a fountain that is just flowing out the goodness and justice of God to the world, revealing to revealing to the world the character of God and the way that they live their lives and interact with one another. But while ever they just, just forge ahead and just barge ahead in their sins and just treating people terribly, fronting up to the sanctuary service becomes meaningless. And so the very thing that God asked them to do, God says, it just makes me sick that you're doing it because you're doing it and your heart's far from me. Mm. Your heart's far from me. Wow. And what I see there in verse 23 also of Amos 5 is that take away from me the noise of your songs. So if your heart is not in the worship, Even the songs can be something that God despises. Interesting. I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. I remember years ago, you know, I was part of a a youth planning group who used to plan Vespers for the weekend for the young people. And one of the things that they always used to emphasize is that we want all our musicians who are up the front leading out on the music to be converted. In other words, people who have a relationship with the Lord. If they were not there because they loved the Lord and their heart was in it, they were concerned that all you'll end up with is a display and a production, and there will be too much emphasis placed on their abilities rather than bringing honor and glory to God. Mm-hmm. And I think those principles still apply. They certainly did here in Amos. And I'm just wondering, we, we, we look at God ordaining this worship service, and then he says, I don't like it. Why is that? Because God is a personable God. He wants a one-on-one relationship with each one of us. If it just dries up with mere formalism, People think they have a relationship with God, and God says, no, that's not the relationship I've given you. That's right. This whole act of worship is to be an act of relationship and homage you know, to, to God and gratefulness and love. But when you take that all away, all you have is the appearance of it, but it's fake. Basically, you are merely an actor in a play. This is mm-hmm. not real life. It's sort of like a dress rehearsal for something that's not going to work out too well. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, and we look at the the book of uh, the, uh, the Old Testament. We look at Deuteronomy. We look at the book of Judges. And there, it's very clear to me that God wants people to be aware of their history. How God, for example, led Israel out of Egypt into the Promised Land by miracles, by signs and wonders. That is to remind them of God's creative power, but also to demonstrate His love. That He's here to redeem and to save and to give people peace and hope, and you know He wants to prosper them in a spiritual sense, but He will prosper them physically if they can be trusted with those mm-hmm. wealth, if they don't get distracted by it. And so we see that they got to repeat their history over and over. For those who have not gone through the experiences, they can be reminded of the experiences of God and His power, so that they, in their personal connection with God can see that they connected to someone who's powerful 
that everything he asks us to do, he will actually enable us to do. So mm-hmm. we don't have to rely on ourselves. Now, in the book of uh, Judges, so this is now Judges straight after the book of Joshua, they've entered the promised land. Now, what happens is at that time, Joshua passes away. And all those who had seen, it says even the elders who had uh, outlived Joshua and had seen the great works of the Lord which he had done. This is in Judges chapter 2 verse 7. They had also passed away. And then it says in verse 10, it says, Then all that generation had been gathered to their fathers. In other words, they've died. Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the works which he had done for Israel. It says then. So in other words, they forget God. And this is deliberate ignorance, basically, because mm-hmm. they weren't totally unaware because, I mean, up to the point when the last of those have died, they were still relatively faithful. It says, then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baal. So they started becoming like the nations around them. And Baal is just another name for Lord. So they started incorporating within their worship things which were pagan. That's right. Yeah. So they started introducing and incorporating in their worship pagan things while they were saying they were paying homage to God. And yet still fronting up to the sanctuary, still doing all the different things that... That's right. Matter of fact, it got so bad. If you go and look at Ezekiel, uh, I think it's Ezekiel chapter 8, they actually have women weeping there for Tammuz. And they even have the 24 priests worshiping the rising sun. That's how bad it got. But they're still in the temple. They still claim to be worshiping God, but they're incorporating all these cultural things which they've been influenced by the people around about them. That's so interesting. In John chapter 4, we have a beautiful um, message from Jesus. He was speaking to the the woman of Samaria that he met at the well. Yes. Um, and she was asking, you know, you know, our fathers worship on this mountain, Samaria, Mount Gerizim, and the Jews worship on Mount Moriah, which yes. is the best place to worship. And she's trying to work out how to rightly serve and worship God. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Mm. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Amen. So the important aspects of worship is to worship God who is spirit, who is our creator, who is our redeemer, and is our sustainer, to worship God in spirit and in truth. So truth obviously based on the word of God. Sanctify them by their truth. Thy word is truth, Jesus said. And then worshiping in spirit is that we need to be born from above through the Holy Spirit so that we have that living connection with God. And then our worship through Jesus Christ will be acceptable in the sight of God. Dear listener, we pray that God will bless you in your worship of God as well. May it be a heart response to all the good things that God has done for us and continues to do for us. Until next time, God bless. For joining us on Faith to Faith. If you would like more information about today's program or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 02-4973-3456 or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. 
We'd love to hear from you.